Welcome to Northridge. Every week, over 2,000 people gather here from all over the Rochester area. That's a lot of people. Those 2,000 people attend one of our four campuses, but even then, it can still feel big. Big church can be overwhelming, but a big church is what God originally designed. We are all a part of one big church. But how do we keep the big church feeling personal? Building relationships with just two people is hard enough. So how do we build relationships with 20 people, 200 people, 2,000 people? When our church is growing numerically, how do we grow individually? That is where small church comes in. Well, good morning and welcome to Northridge Church. Man, we're excited and thrilled to have you here this morning. Whether you're joining us from one of our four Rochester-based campuses or you are watching us online, we're excited to have you. How amazing and cool is it to think that, man, we're meeting in homes right now and in campuses right now surrounding our city with the praises of God. How amazing is that? That's awesome to know. If you're a guest with us here this morning, man, I just want to send a special welcome to you this morning. I know it's a, it's a big choice, a brave choice to come inside the doors of a church building. And so I just want to say thank you for coming here this morning. We're honored to have you. And I'm excited to be back in the saddle teaching God's word. Um, and I want to thank our teaching team. Um, they took the summer months and just really gave me an opportunity to go to China with my wife and bring our son home. We adopted internationally and, and just to spend some of the months just establishing a relationship and build a relationship with Malachi. And just to give you a quick update, many people have asked us uh, multiple questions. Malachi is doing amazing. He's a brave little boy whose world has been turned upside down, but he's attaching to Ashley and I and our, and our girls. Um, it really feels like normal now. And one thing I would just ask for you to pray for is this Wednesday, he is gearing up for surgery. He's going to have his cleft palate and his clef, cleft lip repaired. And so he has no clue it's coming. Um, so it's going to be a big moment in his life to propel him into his future. And so if you would pray with us uh, seven, early in the morning on Wednesday, we would appreciate it. And I just want to say thank you to every single one of you who have prayed with us through this journey, who have given us meals and notes of encouragement. It has meant so much uh, for our family. Well, as many of you know, this time of year is, is, is kind of things are kicking off. Um, I went on Facebook the other day, and all you see is grandparents and parents with their kids with backpacks gearing up and heading back to school. And, and it's almost like we're, we're starting fresh. We're almost launching a brand new year because a lot of things are happening. And what's interesting is strategically in the church, this is a time where a lot of guests come and check out church. Uh, these next couple months, we will be experiencing at all of our campuses and even online, a lot of people checking out Northridge Church. And we wanted to give you just a quick insight to who we are. Because when you hear that name, you hear that, you see that brand on a t-shirt or that logo, we, 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 we want two words really to pop into your head when you hear the name Northridge Church. Those two words are more and better. Because essentially that is what we stand for. That's who we are. That's our mission is we want to be a church that glorifies God. We want to bring God glory by reaching more and growing better. 
We want to keep this healthy balance of, of loving our neighbors and, and, and helping people find Jesus who are searching for hope and meaning and purpose. And we want to lead them to Jesus, their Savior. But we also want to keep a balance of helping people grow individually and personally in their walk, in, in this intimate walk with Jesus Christ. And we don't always get that balance perfect, but we strive to glorify God by making more and better disciples. And the way we have done that strategically is we, we take people through a process. Process. That process starts with our worship environments. It's our front door. Most people who check out Northridge Church come to one of our campuses or log online and watch us online. And that's the front door. But as we get people to come to our services, we want to strategically move them from rows into circles or relationships through community, our community groups. You know, stats say that if you're visiting a church, you have six months to make seven relationships or you won't stick. And so those two main things are worship environments and, and, and getting people plugged into relationships. And that leverages us as a church to help people grow in their faith, to leverage their influence, to live pi squared, to pray, invest, and invite, and then use their gifts that God has given them to serve in the local church and outside in the community. And here's the reality today is as our church grows, you know, we have had a history a 16-year history of our church growing numerically. God continues to bless our church by adding more and more people. Just this last year, we were up 11%. That represents over 200 lives coming, new lives coming to the doors, in the doors of one of our campuses. And what happens is as we grow as a church, we have to be strategic in a large church to keep the focus on staying small and feeling small. In fact, I would say it like this. We want to stay small as we grow large. We want to stay small as we grow large. And how do we do that? Well, we strategically do that through getting people outside of rows and into circles in our community groups. Because maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you're a guest this morning, or maybe you were a guest once at Northridge Church, and you know what this feels like. Because if you walked into the doors of one of our campuses this morning, you probably recognize that there's a, a decent amount of people there. And it's easy to feel like one in a crowd. Does anybody even know me? Know my name? Care about me? And you can show up Sunday after Sunday walk through our doors, listen to a message and music, and not talk to anybody. Be one in a crowd. And can I tell you, we do not want that for you. And that's why we have pushed people to get involved in our groups so they can build relationships, so they can be known. People can love and care for them. And so this morning, I'm really going to show you my cards. I'm going to tell you where I'm going to take you this morning. Um, and and here, here, here's really what I want to do. I want to lay a biblical foundation for why we do groups. Because there's one thing you have to understand at Northridge Church. We start with the Bible. It drives everything that we do. God's word, the Bible, is what we go to for our source of wisdom and authority. And so we start there. So I'm going to start, I'm going to lay a biblical foundation for why we believe in community groups. And then I'm going to reset some expectations that I think a lot of us have gotten wrong. And it's probably our fault. And so if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to start. Genesis chapter 2, you can go ahead and open up your phone, your your tablet, whatever device you're using, you, the, the message, the stuff will be on the screens as well. If you're using one of the Northridge Bibles, it's going to be on page two. How nice is that? Genesis 2, 
page to praise the Lord. Everybody should be able to get there. And so let me give you a little context of what's happening in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 1 is the very beginning of the Bible, and the beginning starts in the beginning God created. And so in Genesis chapter 1, we see in six days God creates everything. He creates land and sea and light and darkness and people and animals. And as we jump to Genesis chapter 2, after God rests on the seventh day, in Genesis chapter 2, God begins to evaluate his creation. He's looking around. He's saying, that's good. That's very good. And we come to verse 18, and we see God noticing something that isn't good. It says this in verse 18. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. God looks around, and he notices Adam is all by himself. And he says, hey, this isn't good. And maybe you've heard this verse before. It's a typical marriage passage. I mean, you hear this almost every single marriage ceremony you go to. Because this is historically the very first marriage in the history of our world. Adam, God notices Adam is alone. He's like, man, I need to create. And so he fashes Eve out of the rib of Adam. And boom, you've got your first marriage right there. But I think we miss out on a lot of what this verse is trying to say if that's the only lens we look at it through. Because you have to understand, when you read God's word, some of you, you're learning to read God's word on a daily, regular basis. Some of you have been doing it for a while. One thing you have to know when you read God's word is context is vital in understanding what it's saying. Because a lot of people, hey, I can take the Bible and one specific verse, I can take it out of context and I can make it say whatever I want it to say and justify my actions. But you have to understand, in order to understand the Bible and interpret correctly, you have to understand the context. And what's significant about this context is Genesis chapter 2 actually becomes, it comes before Genesis chapter 3. Whew. You might want to write that one down. It's getting deep in here. But that is significant. Because guess what happens in Genesis chapter 3? Sin. Adam and Eve disobey God and sin enters the picture. Why is that so significant? Because in Genesis chapter 2, Adam is still living in a perfect, flawless world without sin. And what's mind-blowing to think is that in a perfect world created by God without sin, God still looks at Adam and he says, hmm, it's not good for him to be alone. Well, my question is, is he's not alone. He's got God. I mean, you see in Genesis, Adam and Eve, it gives us this imagery that Adam and, Eve, Adam and God are walking in the garden together. There's no separation between Adam and God because there's no sin. It's a perfect relationship. And so why does he need anybody else when he has a perfect relationship with God? But yet in a perfect world, God still looks at Adam and says, uh-uh, it's not good for him to be alone. And we really can draw two things out of this just one verse that are really important in our lives today. The first one is this, God created us to live in community. God created from the very beginning of creation, the very beginning of our world, God created us to live inside of relationships with one another. And the truth is, is this goes beyond whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. God designed you and molded you and crafted you to be in relationships with people. And how many times have you heard this? People say, well, you know, I, Drew, I'm just not a people person. Actually, you are because God made you that way. 
And we see it from the very beginning that even in a perfect world without sin, God said, hey, it's not good for us to be alone. So he created us to be in community. And I think the second thing based off that fact is community is a necessity. It's a necessity. It's not something that I get to choose in my life. It's not something where I'm like, oh, you know, if, if I feel like it, I'll have some community in my life. I'll have relationships. Or when I need it, when things don't go my way, that's when I'll surround myself with people. No, it's a necessity. It's something that every single person, introvert or extrovert, needs. In fact, this is what Dr. Gilbert says. He says this, community is deeply grounded in the nature of God. It flows from who God is because he is community. He creates community. It is his gift of himself to humans. Therefore, the making of community may not be regarded as an optional decision for Christians. It is a compelling and irrevocable necessity, a binding divine mandate for all believers at all times. And that's some pretty strong language. I mean, he says community may not be regarded as an optional choice for us as Christians. It's a compelling and irrevocable necessity, a binding divine mandate at all times. But yet I wonder if we look at it that way. And this is just the beginning of the foundation. You see, it starts with God creating us this way. But then all throughout the Bible, it's laced with examples of how we need community. Let's go to Jesus. So we go from creation to Jesus. Jesus leaves heaven and he comes to earth. And he begins his ministry. And what's one of the first things he does as he begins his ministry? He sets up a community of 12 disciples. Look at this, Mark chapter 3, verse 14. It says this, he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. So you ask the question, why, why does Jesus need community? Why, why is Jesus setting up 12 disciples? There's two main reasons for that. The first one is Jesus is getting ready to pour into these 12 guys to invest in them, teach them, mold them, and, and craft them so they can start a movement as we know it today as the church. That was his main purpose. But secondly, Mark chapter 3 gives us insight. It says, he appointed 12 that they might be with him. I mean, how interesting is it to know that this is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Jesus incarnate, we learned about this two weeks, he's 100% God and 100% human. And sometimes we try to avoid the humanity of God because we think the 100% God over, overpowers that. But here you get to see Jesus' humanity. Because as he goes to start a ministry, he wanted people to be with him. He wanted to be surrounded by guys who would hang out with him and just be with him because he was a human being just like you and I. He needed a community because that's the way God created us to be. And you see Jesus modeling it for us. He sets an example for us. He models it so we can live it out and follow his example. And then it continues. Jesus models it for us. We were created. And then you see the early church embrace it. So after Jesus leaves and he puts the hands of the ministry in these 12 disciples and the spreading of the gospel, the early church begins and it starts to embrace groups. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Look at all the they's and all's and everyone's in this passage. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so as you look at the Bible, you see community laced all throughout it because we were created to be in it. It's a mandate from God. And the way at Northridge Church we believe best to live out that mandate is through our community groups. That's what, how we get people plugged into groups, is moving them from our weekend services into homes, into, into buildings where they can gather together in small groups and join a community. And so you'll hear us talk about this on the regular. I mean, you might even have heard it said like this before, life is better connected. Anybody hear that before? Yeah, we say that on the regular. Life is better connected. That's true. But honestly, I don't think that's strong enough. You might have heard us say, you know what? You can't grow spiritually unless you're connected relationally. Probably heard us say that before. And I still don't think that statement's strong enough. So let me say this. I think the Bible backs this up. And I believe this with my whole heart as a Christian. If you are a Christian here this morning, whether you're watching online or at one of our campuses, and you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He's the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. As a Christian, you have no biblical excuse to live outside of community. You don't. You, you just, there's nothing you can make up. There's no passage that you can use to say, hey, I just don't need people in my life. I, I've got this better on my own. You don't have a biblical excuse. And so community is important. And that's according to scripture, not me. But I'm not naive enough to know that community is also hard. Because for some of you, maybe you've, you've been here before. We're like, Drew, I get it. I understand what God's word says. I need a community. But I've tried it. I tried to go to a group. And to be honest, Drew, it was really awkward. Like there's, yeah, I just didn't connect. I got burned by a community group. And you know the worst? The snacks weren't even that good. <laughs> I mean, that's reason to leave a group. Can I get an amen? amen? But we've tried it. And it didn't work for us. We didn't connect with the people in that group. Or we got burned by somebody in the group. And so it's pushed us away from community. And I honestly believe some of that is our fault as an organization. The church's fault. Because I think what we've done is we've oversold what community groups should be. We've set expectations so high that it puts pressure on people, too specifically, group leaders. You see, we set this expectation that when you go to group, you are going to find your best friend forever. You're going to make necklaces and anklets and like you will never cut them. Some of you are laughing because you still got your anklet on, like <laughs> cut that thing. But we've set that expectation. And I'm not sure that's the reality of what we want groups to be. And it puts pressure on our, group's leader, our group leaders because they feel like they have to be everything for everybody. They feel like they have to be best friends and connect with every single person in the group. And that puts tremendous pressure on a group leader. But also puts pressure on people who are trying to visit groups. Because you go in with this expectation that I have to connect with somebody at a deep and intimate level. And if I don't, there's obviously something wrong with me. 
And it puts this weight, this pressure on us. And so this morning, I kind of want to reset those expectations for all of us. Because I think, and I want to apologize for maybe putting that pressure on our group leaders and putting that pressure on people who are trying to visit groups. And so when you think about community, the hard thing about community is everybody defines it differently. You know, community to me might be something different for you based on how you were raised and the culture and your background. And so how do we kind of navigate and, and align that, that, that term community? And so when you think about community, you think about relationships. And research says there are four major types of relationships for every single individual. All of us, we have four categories of relationships. And what's interesting is we look at these categories of relationships, you'll see them in Jesus' life as well. The first type of relationship is what we call a public relationship. This is a broad relationship. It's, it's things that you, you have in common with people. One thing that you have in common with people that kind of unites us. You know, football starting today. Whew, praise the Lord. Yes, it's back. All the wives are like, ah, uh, some of the wives, not all the wives. But here's the reality. Maybe you're a Bills fan today. You're a Bills fan and you've got season tickets to the Bills game. And you sit in the same seats every single game. And you've got this group of people who you don't really know. You barely know their names. But what unites us is you all cheer for the bills. It's a public relationship. It's the crowd. Jesus had a relationship like this. It was the crowd. Mark chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Jesus withdrew his disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed. And so all of us in our lives, we can think of people who we have one thing in common. We shop at the same place. We love Amazon Prime. And it kind of unites us together. But then it narrows itself down a little bit. We have public relations. And then we have social relationships. This gets a little bit smaller. These are people who you have shared experiences with. They're people that you know, but you really don't know. Much like your neighbor. You know, your neighbor, hey, Frank, how's it going? You know his name, but you really don't really have any clue what's going on in Frank's life. They're social relationships. Your neighbor, it's that Starbucks barista or barista who makes your coffee every single week. You know his name, he knows your order, but you have no clue really what's going on in each other's life. It's the person who checks you out at Wegmans every single week. They know your face, they know your name, but that's about it. They're social relationships. Jesus had something like this. It's called the 72. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town where he was about to go. So we have public relations, we have social relations, and it narrows itself down even more. The third category are personal relationships. These are people who know you, who care for you, who you see on the regular. They know what's going on in your life. In fact, they're praying for what's going on in your life. This is much like your family, your extended family, your friends. These are personal relationships where you've shared experiences together that have united you and knit you together. For Jesus, these personal relationships was his 12 disciples, 12 guys who he hung around. He knew their names. He knew their struggles. He knew what was going on in their life. And then the last category gets even smaller, intimate relationships. These are relationships that you've shared private experiences and feelings with. Stats show that most people only have two to three intimate relationships for their entire life. These are relationships that you go to a whole completely another level with somebody. 
where you share everything, even the darkest places of your life. This might be your spouse, your mentor, someone who you've walked with through life and you've dug deep in those relationships. For Jesus, he took the 12 and broke it down into three. In Matthew chapter 17, it says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, led them up a high mountain by themselves. And so you see, we all have these four types of relationships. It starts broad with public relationships and moves its way down to social and personal and intimate relationships. And how does this tie to community groups? Well, I think a lot of us, we expect to jump right into a group and find that intimate relationship that probably isn't going to happen. And here's, here's what's even more interesting is it, the investment it takes to build those relationships. A recent study by the University of Kansas said this, if you want to go from a public relationship just to a social relationship, it takes 50 hours of investment. 50 hours of time just go to go from public to social. If you want to go from public all the way down to personal relationship, 90 hours. 90 hours of spending time with that person. For all you introverts, you're like, that sounds terrible. <laughs> but even more, to go from a public to an intimate relationship, over 200 hours of being with that person, getting to know them, asking them questions. And so it, it would be weird for us to say as we launch a new trimester of groups to look at us and are we joining a group and saying, hey, we're going to have these intimate, amazing relationships in our groups without any of the investment. And so let's set the expectation. When you join a group this year or you get back to your group or you relaunch your group, most groups will be comprised of social and personal relationships. That is a good standard for all of us to try to achieve. As we go to a group, we can look to have social gatherings where we get to know people. And the goal is to go from social to personal relationships where you share things that are going on in your life, where you grow together scripturally and, and you apply God's word in your life. And so the, the expectation is not for you to find your best friend forever, but you're trying to find people who you can connect with on a social level, but you can grow to a personal level and challenge people and move people and hold people accountable and love people through the hard times in life. Because what, here's one thing that's unique about this is it keeps our groups on mission. I'm not saying that for some of you, you might not have an intimate relationship in your group. You might. You might do experience that, and that's amazing, and, and enjoy it. But here's where it gets hard, is our groups are missional groups. They are. As our church grows, guess what we have to do in our groups? We have to create space for more people to join what we enjoy. And what I've found to be true is as a group grows intimate together, it can be not always a good thing. It can be a dangerous thing. Because when we get really close with somebody and our group unites together and we get really, really close, what happens is, is we close our doors to anybody else to walk in. And strategically at Northridge Church, as our groups grow, we multiply and launch new groups. And what happens is close groups often become closed groups. They become closed. We don't want anybody else to wreck what we have and we lose sight of the mission that God has called us to. And so most groups today, I'm not saying you won't experience intimacy in your group, but most groups will be placed of social and personal relationships. But what does that mean for us? You know, what can I promise you in every single group here at Northridge Church? 
Three things. I think every single group that you encounter or you go to can have three things. I guarantee you, you'll find these. The first, they're known as our ABCs. The first one is application. A, pla- a place to tra- take the truth of God and allow it to transform your life. I mean, how amazing is that? Is you can go to a group and you can find people who are going to push you, who are going to challenge you to take the truth of what God's word says and allow it to transform who you are. Allow it to change the way you think about your office. Allow it to change the way you approach college. Allow it to change the way you love your spouse. Allow it to change the way you parent your kids. Allow it to change the way you view retirement. A place to to sit around a circle of people who are all trying to do the same thing as you, to apply God's word, to grow in God's word, and all of us together pushing together to, to allow God's word to transform our life. So I can promise you a place to have application. Secondly, I would say a place to build relationships, a place to experience the community of God. Now remember, there's a caveat there, personal and social relationships. We're not going to group to find our best friends. We're going to group to grow spiritually. We're going to apply God's word and build relationships with the church, which is not buildings, it's people. And then third and finally, care. People to walk with you through the highs and lows of life. Man, here's the reality of our church and where it is right now. Is our church has grown to the place where honestly, our, our staff doesn't even have the capacity to love on everybody. Here at Northridge Church, we have a staff of about 40 to 50 people who work on our staff. And we just don't have the capacity or the ability to be at everything and know what's going on in every single person's life. I mean, it, just speaking for me personally, I would love to be able to go to every invite and every event that people invite me to. I would love to be able to support people at funerals. I would love to walk with people and pray with them as they go to the hospitals. But honestly, if I did that, it would be at the expense of my own family. Because our church has just gotten so big. And the reality is, is the one reason why we challenge people to move from a row on the weekend and into a home and a circle is so we can care and love and know what's going on in your life. That when you celebrate the highs, you have people. When you have a birth of a baby, you got people saying, that's amazing. Let's make you meals and love on you. When you get the promotion at work, you got people saying, man, that's awesome. Let's celebrate. Let's get a cake. Cake is good. (laughs) But also life is hard. And when life hurts, you lose somebody you love. When you lose your job. When you get a diagnosis you weren't prepared for, you still have a circle around you to say, we'll walk with you through this. We'll care for you in this. We'll pray for you. And that's important because life is difficult. And we need people. And here's the reality is you don't need intimate relationships to help and support people through life. You can do that with social and personal relationships. And so where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? I mean, I just spent all this time telling you, setting expectations and building a foundation of why the Bible says community is important. So where do we go from here? I would challenge every single person, whether you're watching online or you're sitting in one of our campuses, man, your communication card, would you just grab it right now? Grab it. You might be taking notes on it right now. Grab your communications card. If you're watching online, click that connect tab and scroll to the bottom of your notes and find the connection card. And you'll see four things. I want to speak to four different groups of people. You know, maybe you're here today and you're new to Northridge Church. 
and you're checking us out. You've been coming for a week, a couple months. I don't know how long it's been. But I would challenge you, if you want to get to know Northridge Church really, I would challenge you to get in a group. Jump in a group this trimester and try it out. Because let me tell you something. You want to know what makes this church so special? It has nothing to do with the messages. It has nothing to do with the music, the stream, the technology. What makes this place so great are the people who sit in the auditoriums and watch online. What makes this church so great is there's people willing to love you and walk through life with you and help coach you and lead you to the gospel. What makes this church so stinking awesome is the people. Because that's what the church is. It's, It's a group of people. It's not buildings. It's you guys. It's me. And if you want to get to know us, you got to sit in a circle with the people in this church and see how they've sacrificed to bring the gospel to a city that's dark and broken. Man, that's what makes this place so special. And I would love and I would invite you, if you've never been in a group, check that box. We will follow up with you. We will give you all the list of groups. All you have to do is put in your GPS, the coordinates of the house, and go there. The only thing we won't do is drive you there. Jason might be working on that. I have no clue. So why not try a group? Maybe you're here today and you know what? You've tried a group and it didn't work. Maybe it was awkward. Maybe you didn't connect with the people. I don't know what it was, but you've tried a couple groups and it just didn't work. And I want to press in on, the, on this group of people. I want to challenge you to try group again. Try group again, and not just one group, but try multiple groups. I think people are afraid to hurt people's feelings. If you go to a group and you don't connect there, that is okay. There is a group that you will connect at. We have a lot of different groups at our church, and there is one where you can connect. I've been here for two years, and I've been in three different groups. And each one offered a unique twist, a unique connection point for me. And so don't be afraid to go to a different group. You're not going to hurt anybody's feelings. Bounce around until you find the one that you you fit in. Because I I know this. When I go to a restaurant, I order a steak, and they butcher my steak. They overcook it. I'm not going to give up on going out to eat. I'm just not going back to that restaurant. Or maybe you're a movie buff and you go to the movies and you pay for a movie and the movie's just terrible. You're not going to stop going to movies. You're just not going to watch that movie again. But yet for some reason, when group doesn't work out for us, we're like, nope, never going to a group ever again. Why not try it again? Find Community is a biblical mandate. So why not jump in and try again? Maybe you're here today and the third group of people, you, you go to group, you check that box. You might even eat a couple snacks, but let's be honest, that's all you do. You're a warm body. And I would challenge you, maybe this is the year where you take groups seriously. You say, if I'm going to show up, I'm going to be involved. I'm going to engage deeply. I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to tell people what's going on in my life, what God is doing in my life. I'm going to carry somebody else's burden. Someone else is struggling. I'm going to pray for them on the regular basis. Man, some of us, we go to group, but we don't even engage. We don't take it seriously. And I'm telling you, some of you just need to take group seriously and say, watch God do something in me and through me in group this year. So maybe that's the box you need to check. I need to engage deeper in group this year. Maybe when your group leader asks a question, you don't stare at them awkwardly and wait for them to answer the question they asked. You know, maybe you speak up. So maybe you need to engage deeper in your group. And then finally, maybe you've been doing all the right things. You go to group, you're invested in group, you're loving on people in group, and maybe 
it's time for you just to take it up a notch and maybe you need to start leading a group. Maybe God's been shaping you and molding you and growing you where you're at the level now where you're like, hey, I can lead a group. I've watched it model for me and it's time for me to, to go to that next level. Man, I, I tell you, you need to do two things. One, check this box because Jason, our pastor of community groups, will be foaming at the mouth to talk to you. He will. He will call you and he will get you ready to lead a group because our church is growing and we need leaders. We need leaders to love on people and coach our groups. Second thing I would tell you to do is find your community group leader right now. You know, right now and say, hey, this trimester, will you teach me what it means to coach a group? Would you give me opportunities? Opportunities to learn from you. That way God prepares me so I can be ready to go lead a group. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you need to try out a group for the first time. Maybe you need to retry a group. Maybe you just need to engage. Or maybe you need to take it up a notch and say, I need to start leading. But I want you to know something about Northridge Church. Every single person, I want you to know this. Community groups are not something on our menu. It's not a list of things that we offer and we're like, hey, this is like a good appetizer. Just try it. It's really good. That is not what community groups are in this church. And that's why we would say, we're not a church that offers community groups. We are a church of groups because small church works and it helps people be known and loved and cared for. And that is what we desire for every single person who walks through the doors of our church. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for pushing us to community. Thank you that you make it clear that it's something that we need. And so God, I pray just for, man, just everybody who walks in the doors of our church, that they would know they're loved, <laughs> cared for. And the best way for that to happen is for them to move from the row into the circle. And God, I just pray if, if someone needs a try group, they check that box, we'd follow up with them. If they need to retry or engage or lead, I don't know what it is for everybody, but I pray that you would do what only you can do in the hearts of your people, God. We thank you that you love us in Jesus' name. Amen.